0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open with me to Exodus chapter 5 this morning. We're going to, Lord willing, uh, look at an entire chapter together in one sermon. So I promise you, I know that everybody lost an hour of sleep last night, and so I know that's going to be challenging, but we're going to try to work through this um, and, and, and keep your attention along the way. I've got to tell you, I'm encouraged to be your pastor. This morning, as I have walked the halls, I have, as I have sat in, in Sunday school and sat under the teaching of God's Word, I have just heard over and over again stories of God's grace. I've heard stories of people giving their lives away in pursuit of the glory of God among the nations. I've heard stories of people's thankfulness to God's provision and His care and His, his consistent faithfulness to them. I just I'm just so encouraged. And when I listen to you sing, it just puts things in perspective for me that this is something that's way bigger than me. It's something way bigger than this church and 180 some odd years of history. This is this is what God's doing in history to his own glory. Amen. 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 Well, I was listening to, or I wasn't listening to, I went into the bedroom this morning, and my wife was getting ready, and I was getting ready, and my wife is a Southern Gospel fan. And I know that some of you are, and uh, you'll get to heaven one day, and you'll figure out they don't sing that stuff there, and that's that's okay, um, but uh, if you are, that's more power to you. She is. She's a Southern Gospel fan, and I walked in, and there was a song playing, and, uh, and the words of this song, normally I, I try to be try to be patient and I uh, try to be tolerant with her and, and, uh, and encourage her in that and all this. And it's a struggle for me. But uh, as you can tell, I'm trying to be nice. But uh, this song, this particular song, said uh, the, the, the lyrics were Christians are happy. They're always happy. Christians are happy. Christians shine. And it was just over and over again. And I was thinking Christians are happy. They're always happy. Christians are happy. Christian shine. Now I went outside into the driveway and I saw that uh, my, my garbage can was full, and so I had sat a, gar- a bag of garbage uh, out there on the porch, and I thought, "Well, I'll get to it." And, and uh, uh, my little dog, uh, who sometimes is demon-possessed, uh, decided that, uh, that he would get into this, this garbage, and he had ripped this garbage bag open, and there was garbage strewn all over the yard. And uh, so this morning, before I left to come to Sunday school, I was in my yard cleaning up garbage, and all I could think about was that song. And I was raking and cleaning up, picking up garbage, and I was saying, Christians are happy, always happy, Christians are happy, Christians shine. You know, this morning, the passage where we are... Moses takes off and he goes. And he goes and he does what God has called him to do. And as he's being obedient, you would expect, we would expect sometimes, we have a faulty expectation that if we follow God, that things will get better. But Moses is going to find out that before things are going to get better, they are going to get far worse. And my quest here this morning as we look at this entire chapter together is to answer for you briefly, we won't exhaust this passage, but to answer, what do you do when obeying God only makes things worse? What do you do when obeying God only makes things worse? I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll pause along the way, and we'll work our way through this chapter, and I'm just going to read and explain, read and explain, read and explain. So, chapter 5, Exodus, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, Moses had been trepidatious about this. He had been worrisome about this. He had been fearful to go and speak to the Israelites more so, really, in his his carrying on and his excuses before God than he was about going before Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man in the world. But now he goes before Pharaoh bolstered with confidence because when he finally went to the, the elders of Israel, what God told him would happen, happened. And he's going confident that the Lord is going with him. And he goes not giving the, his own words or not giving his own requests, not adding a few of his own to Pharaoh, but instead he goes with the words of a prophet and says, Thus says the Lord. This was used, this is the the formula for Old Testament prophets. They would come and their job was not to give their own opinion or not to give a message of their own doing, but to give the very words of God. And this is what Moses is doing. Verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I, I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now, some have said that that Moses here is, is sort of capitulating to Pharaoh, that he's sort of taken aback by the fact that Pharaoh didn't just... Just jump on, thus says the Lord. And he's sort of now watering this down, and he's making it weaker. Well, if, if you won't let us go, let us go a three-day's journey. But that's not what Moses here is doing. In fact, God had told Moses this is what he was going to say. This three-day's journey here, we, we don't know exactly what it means, but, uh, but more than likely, one of, the, one of the best explanations I came across in the study was that God is here going to demonstrate just how hard Pharaoh's heart really is. Before God ever asks him, let my people go permanently, God says, let them go for three days. And Pharaoh, even in that, says no. Even in a day where leaders and kings and rulers, it was common for them to allow slaves, allow subjects to go away on religious leave for a time and come back. Pharaoh says no. So God here I believe is displaying how he is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Moses, well maybe maybe you he didn't hear me, Pharaoh, the, the god of the Hebrews met with us. And he and he goes on. Verse 5, actually verse 4, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, "'Behold, the people of the land are now many, "'and you make them rest from their burdens.'" See, to Pharaoh, the people of Israel were not a people to be set free. They were a workforce to pile burdens on top of. Verse 6, "'The the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters "'of the people and their foremen, "'You shall no longer give the people straw "'to make bricks as in the past. "'Let them go and gather straw for themselves.'" But the number of the bricks that that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh's understanding is they must be so lazy, they must not have enough to do that they're coming here and asking me for three days off. So, if that's the case... They need to get more, get at it. They need to work a little harder because they've now got all this time on their hands that they're able to listen to Moses and Aaron come and lie to them, fill their heads with these fancy notions that there is a God somewhere more powerful than me. That's what Pharaoh's thinking. Verse 10. So the taskmasters who are, who are Egyptian and the foreman of the people who are... Israelites themselves who have been placed over slaves in, in various quadrants went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? See, can you imagine how difficult this must have been. The, the, this, the, uh, the circumstances that the Israelites worked in in Egypt were deplorable. From sunup to sundown, it was many times they were working in temperatures over 100 degrees. All they had on was a, was a small towel or a small cloth that, that wrapped around their waist. No hat to cover their head in the sun. Um, no, no one rushing and saying, here, let me, let me give you some water because we want you to stay hydrated. Many of them probably killed over already from heat exhaustion and dehydration. And that was prior to Pharaoh saying, I'm not going to provide straw for you anymore. You're going to go get your own straw. Imagine how deplorable this is. And Moses is the one who seemingly has brought this on the people. Uh, verse 15 Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks." The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What's happening here is when the foremen come out from meeting with Pharaoh and they've begged, Hey, they think maybe this is a miscommunication. Pharaoh, you're holding us accountable, but maybe you don't know that your own people stopped supplying straw." You're beating us, but we're doing our job. The fault's with your own people. Pharaoh looks at him and says, you're just lazy. Go back to work. Get your own straw. And he sends them back out, and it's then they find themselves. They realize they're in trouble. Well, they come out, and they bump into, they run into Moses and Aaron. And this is not soft language. What happens here is the foreman called down a curse on Moses and Aaron. This is not a happy meeting. Moses is not running around. The former are not running around. Christians are happy. God's people are happy all the time. This is, this is a hardcore meeting. Verse 22, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have You done evil to this people? Why did You ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in Your name, He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. In chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. I want us to attempt to work our way through this. And again, we will not exhaust everything that's here. I've tried to explain a little bit of what's going on as we've walked through these verses together, and I want to give you uh, at least three things here of what to do when obeying God only makes things worse. Number one is this. Understand that there is a pathology of sin that stubbornly resists the will of God. Understand that there is a pathology of sin that stubbornly resists the will of God. We want to think in a, in this world that if if everyone would just hear the gospel, that everyone will just come gladly in. But all of us have probably had the experience of sharing the joy, not the necessarily the happiness, but the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that we have found in Christ with someone, and to have them violently. Resist. Why is that? Well, it's because there is a pathology of sin that stubbornly resists the will of God. It reminds me of Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, which says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, in 2015, we need to be reminded that we live in a world where there is an enemy that wants to stop every effort that we put forward to make much of our God. Sin claims, or, or... we're going to see here and we're going to concentrate a lot on verse 2 because verse 2 describes what pharaoh his reaction here to to the words that Moses and Aaron bring but pharaoh we're going to understand gives us a picture of this pathology of sin uh, first part of this is that sin claims to be ignorant of God's identity sin claims to be ignorant of God's identity Pharaoh here in verse 2 of, of chapter 5 says, who's the Lord? And it's it's more than just a, I'm not sure I know, I, I know that name. I, I'm not familiar with that name. Instead, it's a, who is there like me? Who is the Lord? See, Pharaoh tried to plead ignorance of, of the Lord because he had set himself up as the ruler over this people. He was king over Israel, They were his subjects. There was no one else over them. And Pharaoh here says, who's the Lord? He had set himself over them, and he wasn't about to give them up. But I would ask you the question today, in 2015, or in the year when Jesus walked the planet, or in the era where Moses is now standing before Pharaoh... Has there ever been a time in human history where it is possible to be totally ignorant of God? And I would say no. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. We look around, and and I, I speak about this often, but all you have to do is go outside and look all you have to do is turn to your neighbor and look. Look around at what God has done, what God has made, and see the fingerprints of God, the design of God everywhere. And it testifies of him. God has made himself plain. James chapter 2, verse 19. If Pharaoh is a picture of sin and Satan's hold over humanity, then James chapter 2 is certainly relevant for us. James 2 19 says that even the demons believe. And yet they shudder with fear. See, the demons themselves are so drunk with power, they know there is a God. They know He has a right over them, but they are so drunk with stolen power that they can't see themselves. They can't release it and give it up and bow to His authority. And neither here can Pharaoh. Pharaoh will not acknowledge that there is one above Him. He gives us a picture of sin and Satan's grasp in this world. Like Pharaoh in the lives of Israelites, sin sets itself up as king and ruler over humanity. When you attempt to share the gospel with someone and they violently resist, John 8 comes to mind when Jesus said, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, there's a pathology to sin that stubbornly resists the will of God. So when you come to someone who is mired in their sin and you begin to share within the gospel, one of two things or one of three things is really going to happen. Either God's going to gloriously bring them to life and open their eyes and they will see it as the best news they could possibly ever hear and they will turn in faith and receive what you are offering to them. Or... They will be confounded and confused and want to hear more, or their sin will raise its ugly scepter over them and put down any attempt for the gospel to take root. Sin claims to be ignorant of his identity, but I'm telling you that in this world it's impossible for us to truly be ignorant of God's existence. Secondly, under this pathology of sin is that sin rejects authority. Pharaoh not only claims to be ignorant of God, but then he rejects his authority. And also in verse 2, he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? He just flat out rejects that God is over him. And these two go hand in hand, and they're not all that different. But I would tell you that often what keeps people from God is their attachment to their sin. Romans chapter 1, to continue in that, that, uh, that section that I read from earlier, in 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And they were, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dis- dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now I read that passage to you a lot. If, you're, if you've been in here uh, just a few weeks, you've probably heard me read those verses before. The reason I read those verses so much is because those verses give us a clue as to why things are the way they are in the world. Humanity looks at what is revealed of God and says, nope, don't want it. And chooses to serve things made in the image of creatures around them instead. The creature they love the most is the image of themselves. What keeps people from God most often is their attachment to their sin. Philip Graham Ryken in his commentary said, even the most hardened unbeliever knows somewhere deep down that there is a God. But this knowledge is secretly subdued because the unbeliever wants to keep sinning. He is disobedient because he is ignorant and he chooses to remain ignorant so that he can keep on being disobedient. I, I think that's so true of where we are as a culture. And before you think, well, he's just talking about people out there, and this is a great time for all the, all the good, holy people to gather together and throw stones at people out there that aren't listening anyway. Before you think that's what's going on here, let me remind you that this is what we still do. Even those who have come under the reign of Christ, we still at times fall back into this. We still at times say, but I like my sin. I know there's a God, but if I pretend like He's not there, then I can keep on doing what I want to do. The reality is, whether we are talking about someone who is lost and without hope in this world because they do not know Christ and we are sharing the Gospel with them, or whether we are dealing with our own hearts in the privacy of our own homes, sitting in front of computer screens and in front of refrigerators and whatever the case may be, and we're dealing with our own stuff, We must understand that things will often get worse before they get better because there is a pathology of sin that stubbornly resists the will of God. Now, we've been given everything we need as believers, those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, for life and godliness in this world. And we can walk in obedience by His power and His grace. But this will help us, I think, to understand. A third part of this pathology that that Pharaoh shows us is that sin sets itself up against God's people. It's not just that Pharaoh claims ignorance, who's the Lord? It's not just that he rejects the Lord's authority that I should obey him. But he also sets himself up against the, the people of God when he says, and let Israel go. Who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? See, Pharaoh doesn't want to acknowledge that there is a God who is over him, and he's not about to let anybody else do that either. He's going to stubbornly oppose and set himself up against these people who claim another God besides him. Chapter 5, 6 through 9, I've read it already, but it tells the story there of, of just what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh said, you want to come in here claiming that there's another God besides me. Don't you forget, Moses, that I am the the offspring of sovereign gods of Egypt. And I am the manifestation of of the most high God myself. This is what Pharaoh thinks. And he's saying to to Moses, "You you want to come in here claiming that there is another. Let me just show you, big boy. I may not be able to swing my fist at him. I may not be able to sick my army on him. I may not be able to touch this God that you're talking about because he's not appeared to me, Moses, in a a burning bush. But if these people are the manifestation of him in this world, then I will certainly touch them. And this we should expect as well. There is a world out there that says you want to claim there's a God who has some right over my life? Who are you to say something like that? I can't get to Him because I don't even believe in Him, but I certainly can see you, and so I will touch you, and I will come against you, and I will make your life as hard as I possibly can make it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul told Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Church, I believe the day is coming where in America we will see persecution grow to places where it has never been before. We have a president who, who wants to take away so much of the foundation that this, this country was built on. And I know that's not popular for me to talk about, and it's not personal against him. I don't have a a vendetta against him. But I want to tell you that we as believers in this country better get ready because we are being set up and the stage is being set for us to suffer persecution. What will happen to the church in America when that happens? Any man or woman who opposes God also opposes God's people. We can expect them to lash out at the church because the church is the visible expression of God in the world. Sometimes you're going to do things that God's calling you to do, and before things will get better, they will get worse. First thing you need to understand is that there is a pathology of sin at work in this world that will stubbornly resist the will of God. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Moses and Aaron have an opportunity. They have a choice here. Whether at this moment they're going to say, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And I'm going to quit and I'm going to walk away. Or whether they're going to continue to trust the Lord and continue to be obedient to Him. Second is this. What do you do when things get worse before they get better? When when obedience to God brings... Worst circumstances on. Number two is this. Trust that God is accomplishing His will in ways that you don't understand. Trust that God is accomplishing His will in ways that you don't understand. In verse 2 there, uh, after that sentence, Pharaoh continues and he says, I do not know the Lord. Surely Moses and Aaron, up until this point, they come to Pharaoh. They were bolstered with confidence. They come in knowing that, hey, this thing worked with the elders of Israel just like God said it would. In fact, before that, Moses is heading here. Aaron comes out. They, they meet one another. This thing goes down just like God said. And surely they go into Pharaoh with just utter confidence. They're, they're beaming with it, expecting Pharaoh to just do exactly what they ask. But what Moses and Aaron lose sight of is the fact that God told them how Pharaoh would react. Even though God had told Pharaoh that, uh, that uh, Moses that Pharaoh wouldn't obey, I can't help but to think that Moses here, we read it in the last part of, of verse five or chapter five. That Moses says, why have you brought me here? Why did you send me here? Why have you done evil to your people? And so Moses, even though God has told him, look, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Here's what you're going to say. And Moses obeys. He goes in, thus says the Lord. Even though God told him, Pharaoh will not let them go. And I will harden his heart. He won't let them go unless He is shown by a mighty hand. In fact, that's what 319 said. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Even though Moses was told that ahead of time, Moses gets to the point in in living out this obedience that he said, God, what are you doing? And don't we do the same thing? Hasn't God told us certain things about living in these last times? And when they actually come our way, when we look around and we see the evidence of of living in a sinful, fallen world that is not yet totally, fully redeemed, a world where creation groans for His return, don't we sometimes say, God, what are You doing? Trust that the Lord is working in ways. He's accomplishing His will in ways that we don't understand. I want you to remember that this was not a showdown between Egypt and Israel. Israel. This was not even a showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. This was a showdown between God and the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh being the chief manifestation of that. And so when Pharaoh here says, I do not know the Lord, that's a key phrase because if we look at going forward through the plagues, God is going to show Pharaoh exactly who he is. Look, just follow along. You can just turn a few pages with me. Go to chapter 7, verse 5. Turn to 7, verse 5, and and there, verse 5 says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Chapter 7, verse 17 says, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Chapter 8, verse 10. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where My people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Chapter 9, verse 14. For this time I will send My plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like Me in all the earth. Chapter 9, verse 29. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. that The thunder will cease and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Chapter 10, verse 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord chapter 11, verse 7, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The Word of God was written, not haphazardly, not at the whim of 40 different authors, every stroke of the pen was superseded and overseen by God Almighty. Not just the writing of the Word of God, but the very happening of history. When Pharaoh here says, I do not know the Lord, God said, you're about to be introduced to me. See, sometimes we go through things in our life and we're obedient to the Lord and we think, God, I'm I'm obeying You. I'm doing what You've told me to do. Why aren't things getting worse? And the reality is, God is doing something behind the scenes that we're not privy to. Because He's more committed to pulling off and accomplishing His will in this world so that His name would be praised throughout the halls of history and eternity going forward. Than he is about our happiness or about our lives. Chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say, Make bricks. Again, the, the words are important. When the foremen, the very people of Israel, those who are, who are the, the Israelites on the crew who are overseeing the other slaves, when they come before Pharaoh, even though chapter 4, verse 23 tells that, that they are not to serve anyone but the Lord, in chapter 4, verse 23, God said, Israel is my firstborn son. Let them go that they may serve me. These foremen, these Israelites themselves, come before Pharaoh and they say, Your servants, Pharaoh. We are your servants, Pharaoh. See, this is the issue. They had been slaves for so long that they were blind to their captivity. And this is what can happen to to us in this world. To those without Christ in this world, they can become slaves for so long that they lose sight. They become blind to their captivity. Chapter 5, verse 19, the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble Only when Pharaoh said, you're not going to be given any more straw, go make bricks. Quota's is not reduced, you've got, to, you've got to produce the same amount. See, they had been slaves so long that they lost sight of the fact that being slaves was an issue. They only knew they were in trouble when the quota is not going to be reduced. They're not going to be given any straw. Chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in his hand or in their hand to kill us. They become blind to their slavery. What God is doing here that they can't see is he's going to show Pharaoh who he is and he's going to show the Israelites their true need of Him. That there is none more powerful than Him. They see themselves currently as slaves to Pharaoh. It's as if they think here, up until this point, until you came along, Moses, Pharaoh thought we smelled like roses. It's as if they thought Pharaoh's just out to to, to bless us and to make our lives comfortable. They have forgotten the fact that He... Killed those baby boys. That Israelites daily are dropping from heat exhaustion. See, there are times when you and I will go through things in our life because we are following the Lord and doing our best to follow the Lord and things will get worse before they will get better. And what we must realize is that God is doing something beyond us. So that someone somewhere or so that we ourselves might see that he is, is God alone. Things may not always go the way that you would plan for them to go. But remember, God is committed to accomplishing his plan. This became aware to me as I was studying this. And I, I thought, how, how do we see this in Scripture? And I, I thought, well, there's no better place to look to see what God is ultimately going to do than, than to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation. And I haven't read much in Revelation in a while, but I just began to, to turn toward the back of Revelation and just began to read. And I thought, well, I've got to find a passage that will, that will display for our people what God's ultimately going to do. I, I've got I've to show them one passage. And so I began to read, and I began to read that, and I thought, that's, that's incredible. And then I would read a little further. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. And I found myself, and, and, I, and everything in me wanted to come to you and read you like the entire last half of Revelation. But I thought, you know, the, the day after losing an hour of sleep is probably not the best time for me to read, you know, all of Revelation to them. But Sometimes we get in the middle of a situation and we think, what, what in the world has God up to? Has he left me? Has he abandoned me? We need to remember that there is a God who is so committed to accomplishing His will in this world. All of history is going where He is appointing it to go. And one day the Bible tells us that there will be people from every tribe and nation and tongue gathered around the throne of our God. And they will sing praises to Him. That one day He will will judge the wicked righteously. That one day he will cast away Satan forever. That one day we, the 24 elders, will sing around the throne of our God. That one day heaven will be moved to earth. And earth will be recreated and we will live with our God forever. Don't lose sight of the fact that God is doing things behind the scenes that you and I often aren't privy to. God is working in ways that you and I don't understand. Third is this. What do you do when obedience to God only makes things worse? Third, know that while God is working through you, He's also working in you. Chapter 5, verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 1, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why? Why? Have you done evil to this people? Now, is God capable of doing evil? Absolutely not. And it's almost as if Moses realizes what he said, and, he's, and he then turns and he says, Ever since I've come, Pharaoh has done evil, and you've not rescued your people. But this is the way Moses sees it. God, you're, you're being cruel. You've sent me here. Did you, did you lie to me to get me here? What are you doing here. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But chapter 6, verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God was committed, was still teaching, not only to show Pharaoh his glory, and not only to show the Israelites who had been slaves for hundreds of years his glory, but he was still committed to teaching Moses and showing Moses his glory. He was still committed to teaching Moses to trust him, to follow him, and to worship him. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul has had a similar experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, Paul wrote, For we do not know, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. What Paul says, Paul, one of the greatest Christians in history, wrote half the New Testament, used of God to spread the gospel and, and to, to plant churches all over the known world in his day. Suffered such affliction that he wanted to die. We despaired of life. We were just praying, God, kill us. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, Paul had to get to the place where he said, Hey, kill me if you want, because my God can get me back up. That doesn't come overnight. That doesn't come in a lesson in seminary or in Sunday school. That comes when you pass through many dark nights of the soul where following God seems to only make things worse and you wrestle with the Lord and it seems like all around you is falling apart and everyone is turning on you and God says, I'm enough. Paul goes on and says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Church, there will be times when you will follow the Lord and it will seem to only make things worse. In those moments realize that there is a world that is that is unseen that is working against you realize that even when even when things don't seem to be going according to God's plans if you're living according to his commands he's not left you or abandoned you he is accomplishing His will in ways that you can't understand and believe Believe it. Know that just because you have now struck out on ministry, you've now struck out and you've said, well, God's called me to this and I'm going to go do it and it's for these people that I'm going to, don't forget that you're not home yet either. And God's as much at work in you as He is in anybody He'll send you to. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for Your grace to be able to have ears to hear. God, I thank You this morning that I have, I've had conversations in these hallways with people that say, um, I heard from the Lord this week. I thank You for conversations that say, God is sending us here. But God, I know that, uh, that also before you do great things through us and in our lives, you often lead us into harder times. And you and your wisdom know why that is. But God, I pray and I thank you for the example of Moses and for the people of Israel and for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart so that we might be able to walk through those times examples before us so that we might cling to you lord i pray this in jesus name amen i want to challenge you to to spend just a few minutes here and and give the sermon some thought too often we rush into a church service and we we know what's coming we know there's going to be certain number of songs we know there's going to be an offering at some point we know there's going to be some prayers and some scripture reading we know there's going to be a sermon we know there's going to be some announcements and then we go home and too often we treat it as if that's all God wanted to do that day but what if God in your life today wants to speak directly to you through his word by the voice of the Holy Spirit Spend some time thinking about what you've heard. Spend some time thinking about what you're going through and what this requires. Maybe, maybe just thanking God right now for His continued presence. Maybe you're here and, and for you, step of obedience is for you to come, come join this church. Then by all means do that. Maybe you're here and a step of obedience is for you to get on a plane and to leave this life as you know it. To go to a people far away who don't know the name of Christ. Maybe it's somewhere in between. But whatever it is, we're going to ask you as Ethan leads to be obedient to the Lord's call. I'm not standing before you this morning preaching to you that if you'll just come to Christ, you'll be happy all the time. This is not a, it's not a pep rally message. But I can honestly tell you that if you come to Christ, you will find that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, you will have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you gain a family in the church, and you will never have any regrets. Whatever it is the Lord is calling you to, be obedient to Him. You respond as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.